I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, what a job Brian Gregory has done with the South Florida men's basketball team. They didn't make the NIT, but the Bulls can get their 20th win tonight as they host Stony Brook in the college basketball invitational. And the Bulls women's basketball team overcame a ton of injuries they host Stetson Thursday night in the WNIT. We've got all that in the start of spring football to discuss with Joey Knight, who covers the Bulls for the Tampa Bay Times in just a minute. Also coming up, should the Bucks draft a quarterback this year, and are there any plans to sign a veteran corner? And is running up the score not a good thing to do in hockey? We'll answer your mailbag questions as well on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Bursnick, Hey, are you ready for a magical day on the river with the manatees? That's right. Uh, I've done this. I'm telling you, it should be on your bucket list. It is amazing to swim with these things. If you, if so, seven days a week, you can experience the wonder and magical charm of Captain Mike's swimming with the manatees in Crystal River. It's the ultimate family bonding experience. You can ask about the $30 manatee bronze tour and be sure to ask about the free offer for active law enforcement officers and U.S. military. Requires a purchase of two silver tickets at a regular price. After that, you're eligible for the free tour. Now, Captain Mike's is the number one customized manatee tour company at Kings Bay in Crystal River. It's pure paradise up there. The waters test 72 degrees year-round. This is a perfect time to go. Ask about their pontoon boat rentals, their kayak rentals, bicycle rentals, and so much more. You can book online now at swimmingwiththemanatees.com or call 352 355- Seven 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 one seven nine six. Joy Knight joins us now, and uh, lots going on over at USF, of course, with the men's and the women's program, as well as spring football has started. So we got lots to talk about with Joey. Uh, let's start with the men's program. Uh, you know, Brian Gregory came in here two years ago, and I'm not sure that there was necessarily a worse men's basketball team in Division One. Uh, the state of that program, anyway, when he took it over. And I got to be honest with you, Joey. What he's done in in these short, what seems like a short two years, I think is nothing less than remarkable. Uh, of course, they're headed uh, to the College Basketball Invitational. They play at home on Wednesday against Stony Brook. But let's let's back up a couple years ago where Brian was in terms of uh, trying to to get talent. And I, in reading stories that you've written about this a couple times, but um, you, you know he signed essentially three freshmen that him or his staff had not even seen play at that point. And boy, all of them have turned out to be really good players. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that I was walking by the Yingling center on the way to a press conference today. And they're about, they've got the bottom part of the Brian Gregory statue about chiseled out there in front of the Yingling <laughs> statue. That's, um, that's what a lot of people are kind of lobbying for and, you know, well-deserved, but seriously, no, he, um, you know, Brian inherited a mess. He, he inherited an absolute dumpster fire. If you think about it, not a lot of people want to think about the Orlando Antigua era, which lasted only two and a half years, but not one guy that he brought in panned out. Not one wow. recruit that Orlando Antigua brought in worked out. Now, some guys have gone on and flourished elsewhere, but 
you know, Brian tells a story when he had his first meeting. He was he was hired in, I think, late March of 2017. I think 11 guys showed up. When he held his second meeting, there were only four guys. So a lot of guys just flew the coop and, you know, went elsewhere looking for greener pastures. So he, he really started with nothing. And what they did was very strategic. They had very little time until the... Uh, to the late signing period, they had about a month to literally cobble a lineup together. And so they said, hey, we're going to get three freshmen we can build on. We're going to get three graduate transfers who, who can help us with the here and now. And then we're going to get like three best available guys. And they were able to do that in a very short period of time. And whereas nobody panned out in the Antigua era, every guy that Brian Gregory has bought into has brought into this program in his two years, has panned out, has contributed to a degree. Now, some guys may not have played quite as much, but they've been on the court. They've played. They haven't left. They've been good citizens. They've, uh, you know, they've had a positive impact in the community and with their team. And, and, and yes, it's incredible. You know, 19 and 13, this team is, has got a postseason bid in year two. They, they won 19 games this year. They knocked off Memphis at home, and Memphis turned out to be a very good basketball team. They beat UConn at home. They beat Wichita State. They, they beat some viable programs along the way. And, um, yeah, you know, like we talked about, they had about a month to recruit, and Brian could not be choosy. He just wanted to get the three best, best freshmen he could find, and he got three of them that he had never seen play live and in person. He had to depend on word and mouth and film. And those three guys, you know, David Collins, leading scorer right now, averages about 15 points a game. Justin Brown, best three-point shooter in, on the team, averages about 40% from three-point range. And Alexis Yetna, who's a, who's a double-double machine. He's averaging almost a double-double. He was, the, he was the American Athletic Conference freshman of the year. So, you know, it's just... He hit, he hit lightning in a bottle almost, Rick. Every guy that he brought in has contributed to the program, and as a result, in year two, they won 19 ball games, and they're going to the postseason for the first time in, in seven years. It's, it's really kind of incredible. It really is. Uh, they're one win away from their fifth 20-win season in, in program history, which is uh, really saying something. And um, Did you know much? I mean, what was the reputation of Gregory before he got here? Was he known as a guy that was a builder of programs? Was he was he a good recruiter? What what was his what was his reputation? Oh yeah, they needed somebody with stability, and that would just kind of change the image of the program. Because not only were they not winning on the court, Rick, they just they just had a lot of discipline issues. Guys, you know, getting yeah. six week suspensions here and there, and I mean, we all can can uh, make our own conjecture about what those suspensions are related to. But, you know, guys just getting dismissed from the program, you know, they, they really had not only an image issue on the court, but off the court. And Brian Gregory had done a, had done a stellar job first at Dayton, not only making them respectable, going to a couple of NCAA tournaments, I believe, but, you know, having, building a program that had a very solid stellar GPA. He went to Georgia tech and, did the same thing. Those guys were good in the classroom, probably not as good as Brian would have wanted on the court, but they, they made an NIT, you know, he just, uh, some people say he didn't get enough of a chance to, to really, um, you know, to, to make a difference and get that team back to where it's a normal NCAA tournament qualifier. They let him go before that. So 
Um, you know, you can, you can deliberate whether he got a fair shake at Georgia Tech or not. But no, he came in with the reputation of being a stabilizer, uh, being a guy whose teams were, 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 were good teams, not only on the court, but respectable off the court. And, you know, he comes from that Tom Izzo, Judd Heathcote line at Michigan State where it's all about, you know, just toughness and, you know, rebounding and, you know, you know just defensive grit. You know, that's the kind of guy he was. So he came in with that kind of pedigree and that kind of reputation, and, and it couldn't have worked out better. Um, I, I wrote in the, um, in the Tampa Bay Times last week when we going into the, the conference tournament how, you know, they had several guys on the honor roll this past fall semester, and um, this is a team that academically is just doing some unprecedented things for this program. And in addition to that, They've won 19 games, and you know they're going to play in the the college basketball invitational. Which you can say what you want about that tournament; it's a postseason tournament, and for this program, that's a significant mile marker when you consider the five or six years preceding that. Well, not only you know, not only is it a a reward for what was a, a very uh, unexpected and great you know regular season, but. Now you have a, potentially a couple more weeks of these guys to play together. So that's a little bit, you know, in football we talk about bowl games. This is an advantage going forward, right, for these guys? Oh, no, no question because – and I asked him the question today just about, you know, we see this in college basketball everywhere. Roster turnover is rampant. Some people may say it's an epidemic, just, you know, yeah. just the, the transfer thing that we see – you know, in, in, in college basketball, especially, and we can deliberate about whether, you know, the morality of that or, you know, whether guys are transferring for the right or wrong reasons. I mean, that's a whole nother story. But, you know, that's just a way of life in college basketball. Now, you're going to have some roster turnover from year to year. But based on, you know, just based on the, the lineup he has right now and the rotation and the guys contributing, everybody contributes. He's got, you know, I'm, look, I'm looking at their stats right now, Rick. He's got like, nine or 10 guys who averaged at least 14 minutes. So, you know, you're wow. getting people on the court and keeping them happy playing time wise. And he said, you know, right now, I don't, I don't anticipate any roster turnover, you know, so mm. you're going to have, you're going to have, you know, nine or 10 guys, this whole rotation, except for TJ Lang, who, who was a senior who, who, who's obviously graduating. You're going to have everybody back, you know, and we can't predict the future and nothing especially in college athletics, surprises me anymore. I mean, the day after the CBI, some guy can go into his office and say, hey, coach, I'm, I'm leaving for this or that reason. But right now, you just don't, see, you know, you really can't envision, hey, this guy leaving or that guy going to see greener pastures because everybody's contributing. There's, there's balance, you know, in just terms of the minutes. You know, only two guys average more than 30 minutes. And, yeah, I see right now nine guys average at least 14. So, all these guys have had a hand and, you know, have to think that, you know, I'm contributing to this program to a degree. So, you know, if, if they, you know, you talk about how the CBI is like a bowl game and can help the young guys just, you know, develop a tournament mentality and develop that experience of playing in the postseason. If they all come back, this, this is a team that could make a significant dent in year three if everybody sticks around. Well, you mentioned Yetna, of course, was, uh, as you said, the freshman of the year. Then how about LaQuincy Rideau, who is the defensive player of the year? So they've got, they've got all-conference uh, top-line top players already uh, on this young team. So, yeah, there's no reason to expect that they, they won't continue to stick together. I did, 
notice, and we talked about them winning their 20th game uh, several times at the end of the season, including they had some disappointing losses um, to SMU, I think, was one at home. So kind of what happened, do you think, uh, just at the very end of the regular season? Well, I think a big thing that happened, Rick, is LaQuincy Rideau has not been healthy in a while. Uh, a lot of people don't realize last year he transferred from Gardner-Webb, had to sit out last year. And right before he got to USF's campus, he broke a foot. He fractured his foot playing pickup basketball. So he didn't really start practicing with the team until last January. And everybody says, you know, when LaQuincy started practicing with the team, that's when we got a lot better as a team. And, and you'll, you'll notice last year they, they won a couple of conference games down the stretch and were competitive in their one game in the conference tournament ended up winning 10 games, which, you know, double-digit wins was something they had not done in, in a few years. So they became better when LaQuincy Rideau really started joining the team in terms of practicing with them. And then obviously the, the difference he's made this year on the court, he's, you know, you can argue he's the, the best point guard this program has had in recent, me- in recent memory, at least, you know, maybe even this decade, you know, 13 you know, points a game, averaging, you know, more than five assists, um, 82 steals on the season. And, yes, he was the, the conference defensive player of the year. So when he went down late in the season, there, you know, there was at least one game, if memory serves, maybe two that he didn't play at all. I know at Tulane he didn't play. Um, and even in the, um, in the conference tournament, the loss to UConn, you, you could, if you watch the game, you could tell he was favoring – that I believe it's the um, the left foot that he fractured. He was favoring it a little bit. You could see a little bit of a limp. So, mm. you know, you talk about the end of the season and the little skid they went through. A big part of that was just LaQuincy Rideau's health. And I don't know if he's really going to truly be healthy again until he just gets some time, you know, to, to rest and, and get off that foot. And you, you got to look at who they play down the stretch. The top four teams uh, in the league, UCF, Temple, Houston, uh, I'm missing one, Cincinnati. They played all those right. teams down the stretch of the season. That You know, mm-hmm. just the way the season worked out, they had all those teams in late February, early March. So I think it's two things, you know, just the strength of schedule that they faced down the stretch and LaQuincy Rito's health. And, you know, that's why they couldn't quite push through with that 20th win. But, you know, they play Stony Brook Wednesday night in the CBI opener at home. And uh, you got to think that's a very winnable game and can get this program. It's fifth 20 win season ever, which again, we talk about mile markers. That'd be a significant one for this team. Sure would. And the tournament, the CBI, as you mentioned, it's been around uh, a while now, over a decade, 11 years old. And, um, and, and generally they, they do cater to sort of the mid majors, but as you wrote uh, in the Tampa Bay Times, you've got teams like West Virginia and DePaul in this, so uh, a pretty competitive tournament if they can advance past Stony Brook and, and um, you know get deep into it. Yeah, and uh, you know let let's not let's not fool anybody. This is a tournament that requires a guarantee. You know, um, Michael sure. Kelly, the athletic director, who's about as stand up a guy as you'll ever find. You know, he acknowledged, hey. We had to pay a $40,000 guarantee to get in this mm-hmm. tournament. But, you know, if they draw well, they can, they can get Make that money back and, and then some. But, you know, it's really not about that. You know, you cannot deny this program and just the, um, just the way it has floundered in recent years, a chance to get into postseason play. you got to take that. You, you can't turn Absolutely. that down. 
So, um, no, you know, they are, they are, they are now in postseason play. That's a mile marker for this team, you know, and they, if they can beat Stony Brook, you know, and perhaps get another home game, they, they can more than make up for that $40,000 and yeah, potentially play a, a West Virginia down the road. And, you know, what a quality win that would be or a DePaul, you know, a, a big East team. So there are some, there are some attractive games to be had in this tournament. If the bulls can win and, and keep advancing. Yeah, big upside. One team that is not a stranger to the postseason, and they're back in it again, although it's not, not the NCAA, are the women's uh, basketball team at USF, and Jose Fernandez has done such a great job over there. Uh, Joey, the story was, my goodness, the injuries that this team sustained, um, You know, losing, of course, uh, you know, their best player, a WNBA potential talent, um, to an ACL early in the season. But they managed to stick together, and um, I think, I think people probably were as impressed with what that team did this year as any that he's had in some time. I think it's Jose Fernandez's best coaching job, and he's been here almost two decades. You know, quite literally, they had lost three opening night starters in, by mm-hmm. early January. Essentially, by the time conference play started, they were down three starters. And the only two other starters who were left who were healthy, uh, the point guard, a freshman, Sidney Harvey, and a and a power forward, Alyssa Rader, they both went down for certain points of the year for concussion protocol. So <laughs> there, there have been significant stretches this season when none of their opening night starters have been healthy. And That's crazy. they're 18 and 14, uh, 18 and 15, I'm sorry, right now. Uh, you know, I think there would be some people who would been surprised if they had won 10 or 12 games, just as, mm. as banged up and as snake bitten as they've been. But, you know, hats off to Jose Fernandez and his staff with what they've just done with plugging new guys in. You know, it quite literally has been the next person up, and they really haven't changed a heck of a lot of, of what they've done in terms of, of scheme. Um, you know, they, they probably had to slow down their, their tempo a little bit and, um, you know, make a more concerted effort to go more inside where, where they've been relatively healthy. Um, you know, their, their front line was pretty much unscathed. So they've made a more concerted effort to, you know, go the half court and work the ball inside. But, you know, with as young and inexperienced a group as Jose has had to win 18 games, to make the WNIT, that's a huge accomplishment. I I wrote a couple weeks ago, a column for the, for the time saying, I I think Jose should be the, uh, the American Athletic Conference Coach of the Year. That went to uh, Gino Oriem of UConn, which you really can't argue with. But, you know, just the job he's done with such a young team, having to throw kids into the fire and for them to, to respond the way they did and win 18 games, it's an incredible job. And they will, you know, some teams that are used to going to the NCAA tournament, this team had been to four in a row, may say thanks, but no thanks to the NIT and Jose was straight up with me. He said, damn straight, we're going to go to the WNIT. For what these kids accomplished, we're, we're going. We're, we're going to go and we're going to play and try to make some more memories and let these guys get a little more experience. All right, Joey, um, one player that uh, they missed the most probably was Kitty Aloxa, who, uh, as I mentioned, tore her ACL uh, early in the year. So now she's got a decision to make. She's a potential or was on, on – the curve she was on, a potential WNBA talent. Do you think she stays, or is there a decision that's forthcoming here soon? We're going to know in about 10 or 12 days. That's what Jose said. Um, 
I think I think Jose's kind of optimistic that she might stick around. She played in only three games this year before she uh, just suffered a really horrific knee injury against Bethune-Cookman. It was kind of a play to where, I mean, there, there wasn't really any contact. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe, you know, if memory serves, she was going for a ball near the baseline, and she just she just contorted her, her knee the wrong way and just blew it out, blew her ACL. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, only three games. Um, if she uh, if she decided to make her herself available for the WNBA draft, I think she still gets drafted because she's just that kind of talent, you know, an excellent, excellent ball handler, outstanding shooter. You know, that's, that's where she'll make her money at the next level from the three point line. Um, people were thinking she could finish as the Bulls all time leading score this year, had she stayed healthy. So, you know, she's going to have an opportunity to make some money in this game. But, mm-hmm. you know, Jose just seems really optimistic that she could stick around. I tell you what, if she does stick around, this team could be really, really good next year. I mean, talking, they're a team that could really give UConn a, a run for their money in their two at, at American Athletic Conference games. You know, again, if she comes back, she, she almost certainly, if she stays healthy, would become the, the program's all-time leading scorer. And she'd probably fortify her draft status a little bit, so... You know, there's some positives for her staying in school. There's obviously some positives for her going to the WNBA. You know, Jose is very supportive of whatever she does. But, you know, I, I just I really can't, you know, get a gauge of what she's going to do, you know, going forward. But we should know in 10 or 12 days. And, you know, if, if she sticks around, just watch out for USF in the 2019-20 season because you would have Kitty Alaksa back, Beatrice Giordeo, a 6'3" freshman who they were really high on one of those freshmen who got hurt early in the season went on the shelf those two plus all the youngsters that had to play this year out of necessity that's going to be a really solid ball club so a lot i think they're going to be a good team anyway if kia decides to go but if she decides to stay watch out so we'll just have to see yeah the bulls uh took uconn uh led at halftime and uh played him as well as anybody this year lost by 10 I believe to uh, to UConn. So uh, there's also, of course, you can't talk about USF without mentioning football. Charlie Strong uh, and his staff is back at it now in spring football. I know that you recently uh, talked to Charlie in his press conference. To me, Joey, from the outside looking in, um, the biggest acquisition that they have had is Kerwin Bell. Right. Yeah. No. No question. Uh, obviously, uh, something had to change, and Charlie mentioned it in his pre-spring press conference he says you know i don't like to get rid of coaches because you build relationships with those guys but but something had to change they were just getting terribly stagnant and predictable offensively in this in this veer and shoot thing that sterling gilbert had implemented gilbert was among four coaches who left he's now at mcneese state and charlie brought in Kerwin bell who um just did dynamic things as head coach at valdosta state won a division two national title last year average um more than 50 points a game you know he's got that all that you know playing experience not only you know with the university of florida where he's still a folk hero but in the cfl and in the nfl and we all know the kind of coaches he's learned from lindy and Fani and steve spurrier etc so you know what what kerwin the offense 
he's developed over the years is just really just kind of a, a melting pot of everything he's learned from the Spurriers and the Infanis and those kind of guys. You know, I, I think um, you're going to see a lot of guys, you know, just trying to create things in space for him. I think you're going to see the, the revival of the short throw to guys in space that we haven't seen, you know, at, uh, at USF in a couple of years. You're going to see some jet sweeps. You're going to see, you know, the deep ball, obviously. Um, you're going to see uh, maybe him doing a few things with Blake Barnett, the, the quarterback who's coming back for senior year and who's bulked up. You know, it was noticeable just watching him at the podium today that he's about 10 pounds heavier. So, yeah, that's the big thing, um, just seeing how well his guys, Charlie's guys, can digest the Kerwin Bell system during these 15 spring practice opportunities. Uh, just, you know, the buzz I'm getting, the guys are excited about it. I think there was just a real funk in the program, just, you know, not only on the field, just but just emotionally and mentally last year as they, as they lost, uh, you know, their last six. So I sense a, a, a renewed excitement in the program, and a lot of that has to do with this, the arrival of Kerwin Bell uh, and, and his offense. And with Kerwin, maybe an emphasis on this, uh, Joey, but uh, he's mentioned how how much uh, the goal was for, for their football team to become bigger and stronger. And, uh, and, and I think that's, that's begun to happen, right? Oh, no question. You know, they, they were, they were out muscle last year. Some of it was because guys were just playing out of position, out of necessity. They, they had some young guys and Charlie said, he said, uh, you know, in his pre spring press conference that he went to his nutritionists and his strength guys. And he said, I just want to overhaul everything just in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, not only dietary, but just how we do things in the weight room, when we do things in the weight room, how we group the guys together. And the way he talked, it was just a complete overhaul of the the strength and conditioning approach. And he mentioned just how noticeably bigger some guys are. Like just one that comes to mind, the weak side linebacker, Dwayne Boyles, one of those guys kind of playing out of position last year at only 210 pounds. Charlie says he's now 235. Um, you know, Blake Barnett, you know, Blake was not only injured last year at the end of the season, he was a little sick too. He says he played the bowl game at around 200. Well, now he estimates he's about 220. So, uh, you know, the way Charlie spoke, it's just, you know, and he said it about 98% of our guys, you, you will notice a weight gain um, just when you see them. So that's something that had to happen because just the way they were getting out physical. Uh, last year, especially against the good teams, they had to get bigger and stronger. And um, he said that was an emphasis in the off season. And he said that's something that's going to be noticeable uh, when you watch USF practice. And there, there is an open practice opportunity on April 6th at Clearwater Central Catholic High School. That's a Saturday, and of course the spring game a week later here on campus. So there's a couple opportunities that fans are going to have to come out and watch the Bulls perform this spring. A busy time at USF, of course, uh, tonight. Uh, Stony Brook is in town uh, to play USF at, at USF in their uh, college basketball invitational tournament uh, begins, and then you have the women coming up after that. So thanks, Joey. We appreciate you breaking it down for us. Thanks, Rick. Anytime. All right, so it feels like football's around the corner. I still think we have some time to go, but spring football is here for the colleges, and, of course, it's time to talk about uh, the Bucks draft and and what their plans are still in free agency with uh, that still underway. I've got the owners meetings coming up over the weekend in Arizona. I'll be at that. We've got, of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning 
uh, going to play the uh, Washington Capitals. So hockey's really down the home stretch of the regular season. So we've got lots of questions with your mailbag uh, today, and I'll attempt to answer those right now. All right. Well, Bill asks us, do you think that the Bucks should use a draft pick on a quarterback this year? Not a first or a second, but just in case Winston doesn't work out. Uh, to be honest, I do, and it's going to be a tough thing to do because they have so many needs on defense, and you also don't know you know, at, at what point how the draft board falls and, and that sort of thing. But I would think that if, you, if you're looking at Jameis Winston, he's in his fifth season, the final year under his rookie deal, right? So unless he knocks it out of the park, you could be looking at, at having a new quarterback altogether next year anyway. Um, Ryan Griffin is a guy that has been in the league six years. He's not he's not started a game. He's not taking a snap in the regular season. I'm not sure you would consider him the heir apparent to Jameis Winston. Um, but if there's a college quarterback that, uh, you know, somewhere in the mid-rounds, third, fourth round that interests you, look, Russell Wilson made it to the third round, okay? Uh, sometimes you can find these guys that are, for whatever reason, overlooked. Maybe it's size. Maybe it's the program they played at. Um, maybe it's... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com because uh, they're, they're more of a runner than a passer or they can't run at all. Um, but there's always players that you can find and that, that position is so valued in the NFL and you just never really know. I, I really think that you should, you should be in the business of, of collecting quarterbacks and as many of them as you can. I mean, at one point, you know, the Green Bay Packers, I think, had, uh, had Brett Favre, uh, Mark Brunel, and Kurt Warner on their roster, okay? And, and of course, we know that Brunel and, and Warner went on to win a Super Bowl so it's a good thing because if nothing else, they become currency, you know, in terms of a trade or, uh, you know, a potential guy you can develop as a backup or even a starter. So I absolutely would look to draft a quarterback. But again, you got to weigh that against your needs on defense, primarily the offensive line as well. So you still have so many needs that it just really depends on how the draft falls. But it, I would recommend it. Absolutely. All right. Ellis asked if Quinn and Williams, Josh Allen and Devin White are all available to the Bucks at number five. Who should we expect them to choose? Uh, that That's an outstanding question. I, I would have said that it was just a slam dunk before Quan Alexander went to the 49ers that they would you know, definitely take the defensive line talent ahead of, of White. But, you know, and it, look, anything is possible. I still don't think Devin White is in the same class as some of those players you just mentioned, um, particularly Josh Allen. And Josh Allen, to me, is almost – too good of a fit for this defense, this 3-4 defense under Todd Bowles. He's a, uh, a definite edge rusher. He's a guy who could play linebacker uh, in the 3-4, could play outside linebacker in the 3-4 alignment, has some speed, could, could even drop and cover a little bit if you wanted him to, probably about 255 pounds or so. Uh, maybe, maybe could push up to 260, 265 if you wanted him if you were playing a 4-3. Uh, but this guy's had tremendous production at Kentucky over the years. And even though Quinnen Williams is probably going to go ahead of him, he only played one year of, uh, really as a starter of college football at Alabama, and it was a damn good year. And Alabama you know, defensive players in particular have had tremendous success. 
So I think you got to remember the competition he's facing in Alabama, and to get on that field as a starter is an accomplishment. But in the year he had in the SEC was tremendous. But Josh Allen, to me, would be uh, really too too good to, to pass up. And I, I just think the value of a pass rusher, especially an edge rusher, is so important. So I would say that uh, that in this case, you know, Allen would be the pick. Um, but now if you if you had all those players and got a good offer to move down, again, it'd be, it'd be tough to pass on a great player like Josh Allen or even Quinnen Williams or Devin White. But I think you could get Devin White later. Uh, and there are some other defensive ends that, that you know, and defensive linemen that will be available all throughout the draft, the first three rounds. So maybe in, that, in this case, you know, if they get an offer to move back a few spots, depends on how far, you could still get Devin White and then, and then pick up another pass rusher in the first round with what you're going to get for moving back. So, um, it, I, again, I personally, I'm looking to get a Pro Bowl player. I think Josh Allen has that ability. I think Quinnen Williams might too. So I think you go defensive line there, but it's not a, on a you know it's not of any realm of question that uh, that they're high on Devin, Devin White and not having Quan Alexander, it's a definite need, and you could have your Mike linebacker, you know, for the next I don't know, well four or five years anyway. So that might be the way they go. Me personally, I'm going with the defensive lineman. All right, uh, Alex asked, any Bucks plans for to sign a veteran corner, maybe Melvin or Claiborne, or have you heard anybody else? Uh, I have not, and those guys have been out here for a while. Um, they're they're known co- commodities. I mean, Rashawn Melvin actually began his career here in Tampa Bay, and um, you know he he wasn't as good last year as he had been. You know, in previous years, uh, I think that uh, uh, you know he, he's certainly a guy that has ball skills, can intercept the ball, make makes a lot of uh, plays on the balls. Um, Claiborne is a former first round pick. Not all that inspiring as a player to me. He's serviceable. And remember now, they drafted some corners last year, and you're going you're gonna to see them back. Um, so I think that uh, while they could – I think they could use a veteran there. They don't have Brent Grimes, and they're not going to have him back, obviously, this year. In fact, Brent Grimes may not play anywhere. But you have Carlton Davis, who played a lot of football. He's going to be a starter. If Vernon Hargraves uh, comes back and, and plays as well as I think he's going to play, the question is whether – He's playing inside or outside. I mean, it could be a situation where, much like Rodney Barber, where he starts outside and when teams go to three receivers, then he jumps in the slot and you bring a third defensive back off the bench. In that case, it doesn't have to be a veteran. Be nice to have them. My guess is just for sheer numbers, they're probably going to have one more guy, but I don't know it's going to be necessarily a real recognizable name. And and really what they've been doing is signing a lot of veterans to one-year deals. And those are sort of prove-it deals, if you will. So, yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's in the plans, but there's going to be, remember, there'll be a secondary wave of free agency after the draft as teams, uh, you know, clear their roster of some veterans once they see, you know, what their draft class is. And uh, I think the Bucks will try to take advantage of that too. So will there be a veteran corner? I, I kind of expect one where they just signed a veteran safety um, and they're kind of doing that with every position, but I'm not sure it'll be Claiborne or Rashawn Melvin. All right. Les asked, Rick, what will happen first? The Rays make the playoffs, the Bucks make the playoffs, or the Rays get a new stadium deal? <laughs> well, let's see. The, the stadium deal, I don't see on the horizon in the next couple of years. It depends on what you consider a deal. We're talking financing and everything or, or just a site map because they've had those. So um, probably not going to happen. The other options are the Rays making the playoffs. Look, they won 90 games last year. 
um, I would take that option because I think that they're going to be competitive in the AL East, even though they're, they're outspent a ton. Both the Yankees and the Red Sox are really, really good. But in some years, the 90 wins, even as a wild card, would have gotten them into the postseason. I think they're better, uh, at least on paper. Now you got to play the season. You got to hope they don't get off to a a three and twelve start or whatever it was. If you're a Rays fan, um, they certainly you know need to stay healthy, and and you can't necessarily pencil in Blake Snell for another Cy Young. But I think he's as good a number one pitcher as there is, and maybe the best left-hander in baseball. Uh, and then you know you have Charlie Morton coming over as your number two, and Glass now. I mean, I like their pitching staff. They're going to have to find a, a bullpen guy, and, and I like their lineup. You know, they got so much versatility that I think they're going to do very, very well with that. So I would say of those choices, I would say probably you could win this year and make the postseason if you're the Rays. That's their expectations, and that's certainly going to come before a stadium deal. And before the Bucks make the playoffs? I think so. Look, I, I'm, I'm not down on the Bucks necessarily, but I, w- I would just say that you know Bruce Arians has a track record of of coming in and, and winning and winning fast. And so that's what they're betting on, okay? But to me, you've got to thread too many needles. I've seen seasons like this, and I've seen turnarounds, and they, they can happen. But you're asking for, first and foremost, you know, a ton on the quarterback. I mean, you know, you've made him the anointed starter. There's no backup that's going to compete with him. It's his team, his time, all of that, right? And yet your defense was so poor last year that you had to score 30 points a game to even have a chance, right? So when you consider that and, and the fact that they're relying almost exclusively on coaching because they just didn't have the money to go out and, and help themselves much in free agency, I know they've added some pieces, but they're just pieces, right? Um, so who are you counting on? Are you counting on Vernon Hargraves coming back and playing big? You're counting on Carlton Davis? I mean, they didn't have a guy that you know had multiple interceptions that's returning, uh, really in that secondary. So, you know, I, I think that there's just such a big, I don't know how to play. I guess it would be that everything has to go right. You know, there, there's so many moving parts and you're relying so much on coaching that when you look at the NFC South, New Orleans may be a, a tick worse. They've had some changes. You know, they lost Mel, they lost uh, uh, Ingram, the running back. Um, you know, Drew Brees is a year older, but they're going to be very good. I mean, Cam Newton is battled some shoulder injuries. We don't know what his status is in Carolina. Potential that they maybe take a step back. I think Atlanta bounces back. Their cutter is there. He's going to do some great things with the offense. They need to get the defense shored up, but I don't see them having a bad year, a, a big year for uh, for their coach, uh, Coach Quinn. So, I mean, it's just such a tough division with better quarterbacks. Um, them making the playoffs, I know it's going to happen soon one day, but – I don't know that it happens in the first year with Bruce Arians because there's a new system on offense, a new system on defense. Byron Leftwich calling the plays for the first time in his career for, for being a full-time play caller. That seems like a lot of things you have to hit on for the Bucks to win 10, 11 games and make the postseason. All right, we were talking a little about the Rays. So your thoughts on Mike Trout's 12-year, $430 million contract? You know – my thoughts are it's good to be Mike Trout. I, I I don't know what else to say. It's it's such a large number that it's it's inconceivable to me. Just to um, give you a, a, some idea on some of these numbers, Jason Stark put a tweet out. Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, and Nolan Arenado. It's $1.32 billion worth of contracts for four guys. I mean, that's... The Tampa Bay Rays total payroll in franchise history 
is one point oh one billion. <laughs> so you're saying they could have bought these three guys? They couldn't um, have bought all four of them for all the payroll they've paid in twenty one seasons. And twenty one seasons they'd have been infants when yeah. they when they paid them. Uh, Mike yeah, Trout's contract four hundred thirty million dollars. Artie Moreno bought the Angels for one hundred eighty four million dollars. Yeah. Well, but let me say this: M- Mike Trout is bringing in the money into that into that franchise oh, and yeah. into that ballpark, or they couldn't pay him. No, you know they're they're paying Mike Trout because Mike Trout is worth that. There, it's it. These numbers are funny money, but how many of these players actually get it? I know you know Machado, Harper, Trout certainly deserves it. He's been the best player. You know there was a stat: he's finished first or second. He's won two AL uh, MVPs, but he's finished second in three others. He's finished first or second mm-hmm. in five. Um, MVP races, and I think like Mickey Mantle and somebody else, like he, and he's finished in the top five in voting in the AL for MVP like seven times, and only like I don't know uh, Yogi Berra and you know I don't know some some other Yankee uh, Ted Williams maybe something like that uh, you know ever did that. So I mean the the names that you hear associated with Mike Trout and when he's accomplished would require him to be the highest paid player in baseball. Unfortunately, it's more of a regional sport. We don't get to watch him as much. He's on the West Coast. Football players have bigger name value, all that. Um, you know, the, look, the thing about baseball versus football and, and the kind of money these guys make, I mean, um, you know, you, you just you have to consider that, you know, and I was thinking about Kyler Murray with this. You know, Kyler Murray would be, they say, is a very, very good baseball player. And so what is he doing playing football? But – you still got to start in the minors. You don't get paid a lot of a lot of money. Obviously, he'd get paid as a, as a high draft pick, four or five million dollars, whatever. Um, but there's no guarantee you're going to dig your way out of that and and become a superstar in the Major League Baseball. Whereas in the NFL, you know, you're making you're making decent money right away. And if you if you can survive four years uh, in the in the majors or you know in the National Football League, then you're looking at a free agent contract. So. I get, well, if people have a choice, I would always go baseball because I, I just think your career is longer and the upside's bigger. But we've also seen, you've talked about this on this podcast, Steve, how the middle class in baseball has gotten squeezed. And so you have these, these just ridiculous numbers for players like Manny Machado and, um, you know, and, and, and Mike Trout and everything. But then there's a ton of other players that probably deserve a lot more than what they're being paid. But look, all the contracts are guaranteed 100%. There's none of this. You know, well, here's your signing bonus. Well, the first two years are guaranteed. No, it's it's all guaranteed, and that's just. I mean, what what will he have made in his career already? Plus that, I think he's he's well over a half billion dollars, I believe. Well, I mean, um, yeah, this is going to be four hundred thirty million just on this extension. So yeah, so I mean, I think he's over. I think he's over. Yeah, I think he's over a half billion bucks. Here's here's another career. number for you. Jason Sobel tweeted this: Mike Trout's reported four hundred thirty million dollar extension. Is more than the combined career PGA Tour earnings of Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Vijay Singh, Jim Furyk, and Dustin Johnson. The top five on the Good all-time Lord. money list. Good Lord. More than all of them combined. Now, that doesn't include Nike endorsements and everything else, but just career winnings on the PGA Tour. With Valspar coming up this week, just an uh, interesting stat. That is really something. Yeah. Wow. I mean, <laughs> God bless them. Man, hey, I tell you. If you can get someone you know? to pay you that. By You're worth means, what someone it. will pay you, and obviously they're not paying him unless he unless he draws the kind of revenue um, to to justify that, right? I mean, I don't care what you do in life. I mean, you know, whatever the tickets are to the Ariana Grande concert, you know what? That's what she's worth. You know, um, the pop princess is gonna 
you know, going to charge what she's going to charge and fill up buildings all over the place. I mean, it's entertainment and somebody's making money. Uh, somebody's getting that money back. It, 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 you are what you're worth and it's a capitalist system. But uh, look, and I, th- this is the thing too about Mike Trout. He's a hell of a baseball player. Like there's no holes in his game. No. Okay. Anytime I've ever seen the guy, like even just for a June series in Tampa, right? You can't get him out. He squares everything up. If he gets on base, he's on third. You know, if you walk him, he's on third. Um, as good a center fielder that's ever ever played the game, he's the closest thing. And I don't, I didn't remember. I'm not this old, thank God, but I don't remember. I've seen clips of him, but he's the closest thing to a non-switch hitting Mickey Mantle as there's ever been. Um, you know, with just the sheer power and and just the overall game. Um, so you're you're talking about a generational talent. You know, this isn't. Like I la- I kind of like Manny Machado. I'm like, really, you know, um, Bryce Harper. Okay, maybe his upside still, you know, but Mike Trout. I don't think anybody in baseball would deny that he is year in and year out the best player in the game. All right, we'll switch to hockey now. And if you remember the last two games for the Lightning against the Capitals in Arizona, Yanni Gord has had empty net goals in the final ten seconds of of the game that made it now instead of a two goal lead, a three goal lead. So rooting for UF asked us, am I correct to assume running up the score is not a thing in hockey with the last two games putting the empty net goals in with noticeable chirping from the opponent? Hockey seems to be the only sport where the unwritten rule is to play hard all game. Yeah, it's weird to me that it's not a bigger thing. Um, I, I was at that game on Saturday the first time uh, that, you know, that Gord did that. And I think it, there was damn near under a second left. And, he, and obviously the game was over. Uh, and I think Washington thought it was over. That's why they were just standing there flat-footed. But I did see the face-off circle afterwards, and TJ was it TJ Oshie that was mm-hmm. talking to him? I think next to him, and you could almost you could almost see Oshie, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens tonight. But you could see Oshie saying, "Okay, we'll file that one away, pal." Like, you know, you're gonna. So there's something there. I don't. I don't like you see this all the time, Steve. I also believe that yeah, hockey kind of plays it out. Um, because you know you, you're going to pull your goaltender and you're going to leave yourselves vulnerable, and and teams and and scores are going to take advantage of that. But you know what? If I'm if I'm drawing a paycheck based on how many goals I've had, um, you know maybe I have a bonus. Maybe I don't. Maybe it's just you know I'm a 20 goal scorer. I'm a 10 goal scorer. I'm a 15. Mm-hmm. Look, if the, I mean it's not my fault that you put yourself in the position with two minutes left to take your goaltender out and try to go six on five. So. Um, that's, that's the trade-off is you're going to see some, some up, upside down scores at the end of games. I mean, that game against Washington was four to three and they were peppering, you know, uh, the lightning with shots. And I thought Veselevsky was terrific, but if you're going to, if you're going to keep trying to score, we're going to take the empty netters. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that, in that, in that the agreement, in that the trade-off? I, I think so. I mean, I'm always one look, if you don't want someone to score, stop them. Yeah, I mean, particularly, against the Cap- particularly against the Capitals. You know, if you watch the highlight of that, one Washington Capital was half-heartedly skating back. The rest stood still. Mm-hmm. And Yanni Gord busted his butt down the ice. And did he have to do that? No. Was the game over? Yes. But mm-hmm. you're going to give me the empty net. I'm going to take it. Yeah. And you made a good point when we were talking before the podcast that, you know, this is a team that did not score any goals in game six and seven. And this is the first time they'd seen them. And I don't think they minded with the physicality of that game. I mean, that felt like a playoff game, you know. Uh, Wilson was getting smashed, smashing people. I mean, they were running around. This was not. A, this was a heavy game. This is one that they 
uh, they definitely came out to win, and it was, like I said, 4-3 in, in the final minutes and seconds. And, yeah, they got two empty netters, but I think they wanted to send the signal. I think they wanted to see that 6-3 instead of 4-3. You know, it's like, hey, here you go. How's this taste? Because we just we got shut out, and we remember it, and we're going to try to pile on the points and send you home with something to think about. So there's a little psychological warfare there. And just, you know, you feel better about yourself when you look up and you bash them six to three instead of, you know, instead of four to three. Steve, you were there, of course, uh, but watching uh, a couple things about this this last game, the win that they had over the Coyotes. Uh, one, of course, they win the President's Cup, which this franchise has never done. And they've had some, obviously, some great years, Stanley Cup years, even the year that they won the Stanley Cup in 04. I was listening to Dave Anderchuk, you know, say that we didn't, we didn't win the President's Cup. Um, there is, there is, of course, a, a bigger trophy in mind. I think John Cooper handled it well after the game and talking about that. That you know, it's hard to win uh, games. It's hard to win uh, the the President's Cup. It has never been done. You should celebrate that. I I think there's a little too much of this, almost like a jinx in in some ways. Of like, ooh, don't win the President's Cup, you know, because Washington won it a few times, and you know the last time last time a team actually went all the way with the President's Cup was way you know this team. And it's just to me that that, that it you know. What happened years ago, um, you know, real or imagined, you know, pressure is something that you feel internally um, and you have to deal with it on a daily basis if you're a professional athlete. But I think what they've accomplished, this means that they have the best, will have the best, you know, the most points in the NHL. It means it's a historic season. Um, it's verific- It's validation for all the things, all the work that they've put into to me, they should celebrate it, and I, I was glad that Cooper at least took the moment. Now, I'm sure they're right back at it, you know, with their focus on this next game and, and, and playing well down the stretch and getting ready for the postseason. Um, but I was glad to see them at least acknowledge that that was something they're, they're proud of having and that, it, and that it did matter a little bit. Well, and, and not only the President's Trophy, but franchise record in wins, franchise record in yeah. points. Uh, yeah. You know, Nikita Kucherov, franchise record for points scored in a season. Now, Steven mm-hmm. Stamkos, the career franchise leader for the Tampa Bay Lightning and goals. Um, yes, the bigger prize is still ahead, and that's what they're aiming for. But, you know, they're in rarefied air with what they're doing this year. Sure. I mean, we're talking about if they go on to win the Stanley Cup, there's a legitimate case to be said. They're one of the greatest NHL teams of all time. And an, you could make an argument they're the greatest based on salary cap restraints and everything else that goes into it in today's game compared to the past. Now, they have to win the Stanley Cup before you get there. But, I mean, that's how good we're saying this team is. That's what the records and the numbers are showing. And when you're comparing them to the 95-96 Red Wings and the the, the Canadians, uh, the 76-77 Canadians, I mean, this is this is this is this doesn't happen every year. Every this doesn't even happen every decade. This kind of team comes around. And then they should celebrate yeah. it. I mean, it's, you know, you're maybe not, you know, taking champagne to your whole locker room and trashing it, but they should be celebrating. They should be proud of it. Yeah, it's a special year. I mean, they have a chance to do something, I mean, that, that only two other teams have ever done. I mean, you know, 64, was it 64 wins? 62 is the record. Uh, the Red Wings from 95-96. Yeah. Right. They need to win six of their final nine games to tie that. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, when you start when you start using words like ever, uh, and you've been playing, you know, this sport's been played for as long as it has. I mean, that, that, you know, that, that is an incredible achievement and you're right in a, in a salary cap era, uh, to draft and develop players, to make the trades, to, you know, to, to, to work on the salary cap, to keep stars together. 
it's not an easy thing to do. And and Steve Eiserman has done a terrific job. Julian Breesbois, all those guys deserve a ton of credit. And the players, it's a, it's a special group. And, and I've always said that you know the best teams um, are led from inside. They're led from from the locker room or from mm-hmm. the clubhouse or or wherever. And that you can tell um, for as much as John Cooper maybe won't get the credit that he deserves. Uh, it's because that that this team uh, is so focused and has such great leadership that um, I've never look. I covered the Bucks that won in '02, won the world, won the Super Bowl, and things kind of just fell into place for them. Um, felt you know they were a tremendous defense. They had been a tremendous defense when you know, Gruden came in. They weren't very good on offense all year. They drew the right opponents in the postseason. I mean, the San Francisco 49ers ran the same offense you know that they saw every day, and they destroyed them. Uh, you know, we know what happened with Philadelphia. And then once they got past that nemesis, they got John Gruden's Oakland Raiders. So everything, not to diminish what they accomplished because they're world champions, but everything fell just perfectly for them. Um, I can't remember watching, certainly in Tampa Bay, a team that when they took the ice or the field or whatever, you just expect them to win. Like it's, it's become a shock if they lose. Um, even if they don't play well and win, it's almost shocking. Even if they're down so, two or three goals early. Yeah. I mean, you're just like, it doesn't matter. Like, they find a way. You know, they were down, what, 3-1 in the third the other night uh, and came back and, and, you know, and got three goals in the third period. I mean, they they just, and, it, and you know, teams can try different styles. They can try to, you know, to mash them, be heavy with them, do, do all kinds, you know, skate with them. What, any way you want to play. They'll play. They'll play that way and beat you at your game if they have to. And I don't remember a, a team in Tampa Bay that could ever do that, um, but they're doing it, and it's fun to watch, and it's a hell of a ride uh, for their fans. And um, I've got two little fans here at home. Um, my little my girls are just huge Lightning fans, and it helps when they win. But but they've been to the games, and um, you know they're exciting and and they're dominant, and and you know. They're going to put on a show, and and it's just been a, a special year. And then to add Stamkos to that, with him being able to to set that record at home, uh, and to do it in about three hundred less games than it took Vinny LeCavier, is 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 very impressive. And I thought I thought it was a neat moment. I thought the Lightning did a nice job with the with the video tribute, um, but you know I thought the fan reaction to Stamkos, you could see, and he talked about this after the game how. You know, you never know. I mean, he, he knew he was going to break the record if he didn't get hurt. Um, but then to actually see how it transpired at home in a game that mattered, uh, in a win, you know, the reaction that that crowd gave him, it, it was moving. And Stamkos, you know this, Steve, he, he went through a lot now. I mean, this kid came in here 19 years old with a T-shirt that, that said, Seen Stamkos, remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, so much expectation on him. So many bad owner ownership groups before Vinnick got here. Um, they, you know, they went through you know a lot of a lot of trials, and uh, so I was happy for him. And I thought the other thing that struck me is he's 29. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, in life he's like he's a young man, a really young man. You know, but yeah, you even just, think uh, of from you know the broken leg to the the oh, blood clot the issue to you know everything that yeah. he's gone through too. I mean, you know, this record could have happened a lot sooner than it did, as far as sure. time, time wise. I mean, game wise, it may absolutely. Have been the same, but you know, based on how many almost full seasons or close to full seasons has he missed? A couple of them in his career. Yeah, that Two but for in, sure, yeah, yeah, he's still only twenty nine. Yeah, and he's done all that, and it's just uh, look, I. 
I, I'd love to see him win a cup because I think with hockey players, that's validation too. Um, and, you know, some some go and, and have great careers and make the Hall of Fame and never win a cup. But if he does win it and he seems to be sort of on this trajectory to, to maybe approach or exceed, you know, 500 goals, uh, he's going to be a Hall of Fame player. I mean, that's that's sort of the path he's on. I think he'll be a Hall of Famer with or without a cup. There are some that think he has to win one. Probably. To get it, but I, I think Probably. he'll be in without. But, but that would that he would gets a cup clinch it. and it's a no doubter at that point. Yeah, to me, it, to me, it clinches it. So, yeah, good stuff from the Lightning. And again, they play. We'll see what happens. It's gonna be a little different atmosphere up there when they play Washington uh, tonight. The next five, uh, the next the, five games Nation are against Cup. all playoff teams. Yeah. So, and, and Arizona was too. I mean, you're going. This is a heck of a stretch. You got Washington tonight on the road. You're at Carolina tomorrow night. Saturday they're at St. Louis. Then they're home against Boston on Monday, and then they get four days off until next Saturday for the final home game with the Capitals coming back to town. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. I mean, I think on the one hand, you just you hope if you're the Lightning that you don't get too beat up because those teams are going to be coming hard at you. On the other hand, um, you know you're going to be sharp for the postseason because you're going to have games that keep your attention, um, that that make you stay on top of things. And so, I think it can work to their advantage too because they'll enter the postseason. Um, having been battle tested all the way down to the stretch, you know, to the very last game. So I think that that could be a good thing for them as well. All right. So thanks again for your questions. And you don't have to wait for a mailbag. You can send us questions anytime at Sports Day TV on Twitter. Or you can reach me at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. And hey, folks, I'm telling you now, if you haven't had a chance to swim with the manatees, you need to try this. I've done it. It's an unbelievable experience up there in Kings Bay, in Crystal River. Uh, call Captain Mike's. They're the number one customized manatee tour company, and you can reach them online at swimmingwiththemanatees.com or you can call 352-777-1796. For Steve Versting, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.